You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Mohammed coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. Actually, I'm in Forest Park, Georgia tonight. I'm over at my uh, shipper trying to get ready to get loaded. So a little bit later on in the show, you may hear a little bit of noise or something in the background, me backing into the door. Just know that uh, this is the Rates and Lanes podcast coming to you live and that um, I am Rico Muhammad. I'm not uh, a, a um, someone with college degrees or nothing like that as far as that can come, at, come and talk to you on this podcast about uh, from a, a, a real high analytical spectrum as far as uh, the Rates and Lanes is concerned. I'm just... Uh, Average Joe out here with his own authority working this, uh, working my uh, company and can give you some advice and things that have helped me on my way and give you some real life experience and uh, in the trenches, real deal rate of that nature. Um, tonight, we will have our special guest here in Seaton on. I just got off the phone with him. He is doing a little housekeeping right now. He wants me to call him back in about two or three minutes, and I will get them back on the line. But in the meantime, in between time, the show as we normally do, and we are going to jump right over into uh, the fruit and vegetable truck rate report from the USDA right now and see what they have to say for this week's um, on their report. And this week, we don't have any areas with a shortage reporting. As far as the USDA is concerned, we have a couple of areas that show Slight shortages in those areas are the San Luis Valley, Colorado, Upper Valley, Twin Falls, Burley District, Idaho, um, Merle County, Oregon, Aristotle County, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, and North Dakota are reporting slight shortages. East, Eastern North Carolina and Nebraska checking in with slight shortages. New York is reporting slight shortages, and Yakima Valley and Washington State is reporting a slight shortage as far as their uh, USDA fruit and vegetable truck report. Uh, if you want to see this report for yourself, there's much more greater detail on this report, so if you happen to be a reefer hauler, or, and like I've told people before, if you don't know, um, you can haul just about some produce and uh, vegetables on any type of equipment. You can do it on flatbed. You can do it on reefer. You can do it on uh, step decks, dry vans, vented vans. So it may behoove you to check out this report and, uh, you know, kind of add it to your repertoire. It comes out every Wednesday, uh, sometimes about after lunchtime. You can just Google USDA truck rate report or fruit and vegetable report. Just Google that, and that'll pretty much give you the link. It's a little complicated trying to get to it directly from the USDA website. And um, this week, let's check in real quickly with the DAT trend lines and see what's coming off of the reports that DAT sends out for January the 11th through the 17th. The truckload capacity added 24% last week, the first indicator of a more typical slow winter freight season. Freight rates slipped lower for vans, flatbeds, and reefers as did fuel surcharges. So that's kind of a 
a brief overview of the whole thing. Let's jump over and get into a little bit more specific, and let's look at the uh, U.S. national van demand in capacity for January the 11th through the 17th. And van freight rates, well, van freight availability was stable last week, and capacity expanded 24% compared to the previous week. The load-to-truck ratio declined 20% from 3.9 to 3.1 loads per truck, which is still relatively strong for the season. December van ratio up 5.9%. And the national ratio averaged 3.7% for vans in December and a 5.9% increase compared to November, 0.7%. Above the level of December of 2013, low posts increased on both a month-over-month and a year-over-year basis. And let's get over into the U.S. van rates. January 11th through the 17th, the national average rate for vans declined another $0.03 per mile last week, dropping below $2 for the first time since May. The line haul portion of the rate slipped $0.02, and the average fuel surcharge lost $0.01. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, like I said, I'm here at my shipper getting ready to get loaded. they just getting ready to put me in the door. So bear with me just a second. This is just another indication that I wanted to let everyone know once again that we're not someone just sitting off in the office somewhere with a little cushy job and just sitting at a computer screen and, and, and uh, reading this stuff off on, on, on the computer to you, that we are actually out here in the field doing this. We are not just, uh, you know, from a from a uh, standpoint of just talking about this stuff. We actually out here in the with our with our faces to the grindstone, doing it with you. So uh, sometimes sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. or just try to keep everybody abreast as to what is really going on. And um, I don't want people to feel like they're intimidated when they call in on the Rate Lane podcast because. Like I said, I'm just a natural, I'm just a regular guy just like you out here doing this thing and trying to do the best I can as well. And we get better by sharing information and, and uh, maybe sharing a couple of different pointers and tips that can help everyone out with this uh, quest to get better at getting better freight and get be- and getting better rates while we're out here. So give me just a second, and I'm going to back into this hole, and we'll get right back to the podcast. And we just about got it in the hole. All right. Thank you, everyone, for bearing with me through that brief interruption. And I'm going to pick right back up. We were talking about the uh, U.S. van rates. And for December, the rates rise 7.2%. The monthly average van rate achieved an off-season peak in December at $2.08 per mile, including the fuel surcharge. Compared to the same month in 2013, van rates were up 7.2%. And a quick check around the country for the average rate. Philadelphia checks in with an average van rate of $1.83 per mile. Atlanta checks in with an average van rate of $2.04 per mile. Chicago checks in with $2.20 on average for vans. 
Dallas shows a $1.81 on average. And Los Angeles is showing an average rate of $2.12 for the drive-in market. Moving on over to U.S. flatbed demand for the week of January the 11th through the 17th. Flatbed load availability rose 6.1% and truck load capacity posted another strong gain of 28%. The load to truck ratio lost 17% for the week from 16.5 down to 13.7 loads per truck bed ratio. Load volume dipped 1.2% for flatbeds in December compared to November, and the capacity increased 3.1%, yielding a 4.2% decline in the load-to-truck ratio month over month. The ratio rose 12.6% compared to December 2013, however, due primarily to increased demand. And we're going to check over and see what we're looking like on U.S. flatbed rates for the 11th through the 17th. And it says here that flatbed rates dipped $0.04 cents last week to $2.25 per mile, including a $0.01 cent decline in the average fuel surcharge. Rates were down. Uh, the national average rate for flatbeds fell $0.02 cents in December to $2.29 cents compared to December of two dollars uh, compared to December of 2013. However, flatbed rates rose twelve cents, a five point five percent mile uh five point five percent per mile increase on the percentage wise. Um check in on the national flatbed rates around the country. Harrisburg checks in at three dollars and ninety eight cents per mile on average. Atlanta, Georgia checks in with a two dollar and fifty seven cents per mile average. Rock Island over in the Midwest, two dollars shows two dollars and sixty-seven cents per mile on average. Houston, Texas checks in at two dollars and sixty-three cents per mile on average. And Phoenix, Arizona shows a one dollar and eighty-five cents per mile average for flatbeds. And last but certainly not least, we're gonna jump over into the US reefer demand for the week of the eleventh through the seventeenth. And demand for reefers declined 8.9% last week, and capacity added 20%, signaling a seasonal slowdown in much of the country. The load-to-truck ratio declined 24% from 13.4 to 10.1 reefer loads per truck. December, um, the reefer load availability rose 4.1% and added and capacity added 8.3% in December compared to November, this resulting in a load-to-truck ratio that dipped 4.2% to 10.6% compared to December of 2013. The ratio declined 5.3%. And let's look at U.S. reefer rates, and then we're going to go over and try to get Mr. Deaton back on the line with us. And the average rate, January the 11th through the 17th, the national average for reefers declined another six cents. Last week to $2.29 per mile. The line haul portion of the rate fell five cents, and the average fuel surcharge dropped one cent. Rates up 14% versus 2013. But there's a little silver lining to the cloud. Reefer rates slipped one cent in December to a national average of $2.36 per mile compared to December of 2013. Rates rose 29 cents year over year, percent increase. 
Um, and we're showing rates here on average coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey at $2.13 per mile for national reefer rate, uh, average rate. Lakeland, Florida shows an average reefer rate of $1.71 per mile. Green Bay, Wisconsin checks in at $3.09, leading the pack. And McAllen, Texas checks in at $2.38 per mile on average, which is not bad. And Fresno checks in at $2.17 per mile on average. And with that said, let's see if we can get our esteemed guest back on the line with us, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll see if we can get them plugged in here in just a second. Okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have Mr. Hank Seaton on the night with us. Hank, this week we got you plugged in. Hank, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. Good, good. Glad to have you on. And just want to remind everyone that's on the line, if you got a question, a transportation uh, law question or anything like that, you go ahead and press the number one that will put you in the queue so that you can get in line to ask your question directly to Mr. Seaton. Well, Hank, what's been what's new? What you got going on before we jump into any questions or anything else? What, what what's been going on in your world? Well, I've been I've been traveling around making some uh, some presentations to different groups, primarily on uh, uh, shipper broker contracts and some nasty trends we're we're seeing in terms of cargo liability and indemnity issues. And other than that, uh, it seems like I've been busy and blessed with a bunch of kind of strange transportation questions. Uh, <laughs> hauling different 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 commodities, different uh, uh, models of operation, and so it's uh, been a busy and blessed time for me. And, and given the fact that I think that we went through a little bit of a growth spurt and we've got a couple of few, we, we have a few new listeners that may be tuning in tonight, and I think it might be a good idea for us tonight to maybe uh, take a little bit of a step back and go over, uh, review some other things that we may have talked about previously. Um, as far sure. as uh, I, did, I got a, I got a question. Uh, someone sent me a question the other day, and they were talking about the secret weapon in the drawer, which they were referring to the motor carrier tariff. Now, there was an article that they sent me, um, and I'll just touch on it briefly, and, and, and maybe you can comment on it after I touch on these the, some of these points that they had sure. in this article here. And um, it has a question here: Motor carrier tariffs weren't they abolished? Uh, you don't need you don't need them, so why bother? Why would any judge pay attention to one of those? And uh, the person in the article goes on to explain: Well, it's not, you can't think about it so fast. Con Congress abolished the ICC. It only said the tariffs were not required to be filed; that it did not eliminate that, but they were not eliminated. And that, uh, in fact that Congress allowed uh, carriers to rely on their tariffs to limit their liability for freight damages, establish rates and rules, and avoid showing shippers and uh, uh, avoiding the showing shippers the tariffs unless asked. Um, any carrier that operates without a tariff is missing a great opportunity to protect, themselves, to protect itself in a dispute with a shipper. And I think the key word in that is, is shipper. And maybe one of the points that we can, I know we talked about it before, but um, and, and a lot of these broker contracts and stuff like that, uh, they make you waive a lot of your rights under um, 
when you know when you sign when you go in and you initially sign these broker contracts and these broker agreements, they make you waive a lot of your rights and stuff like that. Um, and and I just want to maybe touch back on some of the rights and everything that that you do enjoy if you don't sign your rights away. Sure. The first I'll, thing I'll I want to ask you. Yeah. Before before I answer any questions, let me ask you one. Who wrote the article? It sounds like something I might write. Ah, let's see. I don't see. Let's see. I don't see a byline. Okay, well, while you're looking, while you're looking, well, it says the latest uh, article was originally published in 2004. This article saying uh, uh, consult with an attorney, but it says related uh, attorneys with John W. Bryant. Yes, I, I remember I John Bryant. Yeah, uh, let me let me uh, uh, for for the listeners let me explain that the the article is still correct. Uh, back uh, over thirty years ago now, when uh, interstate transportation was regulated, there was no such thing really as a contract carrier, and every carrier who had operating rights published service terms and conditions which were actually on file in Washington, D.C., and which applied to their holding out. And because of something called the file rate doctrine, you had to charge everybody uh, the same rate for the same service and hold them. And have the same credit terms, and it had to be exactly what was on file in Washington. The result of that was that uh, motor carriers really had the best of the deal because... Uh, uh, just like uh, somebody who makes hamburgers, he could say, I'm going to make them my way, and if you want to eat the hamburger, you'll eat it how I make it. Uh, but as a result of the deregulation and the uh, great supply of new motor carriers who came in the industry, shippers and brokers quickly took advantage of a provision in the statute which allowed uh a written bilateral contract between a shipper and broker on the one hand and a carrier on another to trump a carrier's service terms and conditions. So that the way the law now reads, a shipment under a bill of lading moves subject to carrier uh, service terms and conditions or tariffs, uh, uh, which must be produced upon request, or a written bilateral contract. And the way it's set up is if you sign a contract, that contract is probably in writing going to say that if you have a service terms and conditions, they are waived. It's what's called an integration clause in all these contracts. It says this is all we're agreeing to and uh, nothing else is out there. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not good business for every carrier to have at least a simple uh, rules tariff and to try to incorporate it into every uh, line of haul. You'll sip, typically see a broker contract that doesn't say a thing about things like uh, detention and waiting time and just the, the basic kind of accessorial charges that you need. So unless you have an accessorial chart or can incorporate one by reference, you then play this uh, happy hijack situation when you don't get unloaded for three days and the broker says, I'm sorry, Charlie, what do you expect me to do about paying you? So there are a lot of things 
in a rules tariff that are uh, good practice. And if you want to mimic the uh, the big boys, the, particularly the regular route carriers and most of the truckload carriers, they have rules tariffs that they try to negotiate into contracts. Now, the idea of saying, well, don't ask, don't tell, I've got these rules tariffs and I'll play surprise with a, a shipper when I get in trouble uh, is, uh, I don't think, a particularly ethical way to do business. Uh, and it can get you in trouble. So, A, you need a rules tariff, but if you don't have a written contract and you do have a rules tariff, one thing you better get very, very clear is if you want to limit your cargo liability, under the liability statute, you have to tell the shipper in advance what your limit of liability is, and you have to offer him an opportunity to elect among two or more rates. So you can't just stick in your bottom drawer that our uh, limit of liability is $100,000 a truckload and then hope to overcome an improvident stolen load worth 700000 So what I'm telling you is, for that reason, if you don't get in a written contract that your maximum liability is 100000 or you don't uh, give the shipper notice that it that your rules tariff is applicable and it has a limit of liability and give him the opportunity to choose. Under the law, you can have to eat a cargo loss that far exceeds your cargo limit. So that's a that's a long way to kind of introduce you into it. Uh, Rico has mentioned before. I wrote a book called Protecting Motor Carrier Interest in Contracts, and a lot of that goes into explaining the difference between uh, a bill of lading, which is a contract incorporating either a written contract or a tariff. It's one article of contracting. Another is this rules tariff that Rico is talking about that's very important. And the third, of course, is the written bilateral contract. Now, one of the things that uh, I mentioned to Rico that I am talking about is whether or not we have reached the tipping point in which the contracts have gotten so outrageous that uh, uh, an average carrier can't sign one, and whether or not the shortage of trucks is such that now we have negotiating muscle to just say no. And I think we're about oh. there where the shipping public is going to have to exercise some restraint or the carrier public on what they'll sign. That's it. You, you, you lead me into a lot of great points. Um, when I originally started out, when I was going to make the decision that I was going to get my own authority, I went to um, a NASTIC class, which is where I, I heard about Mississippi before NASTIC, but at NASTIC, during the uh, new entrance survival training class that they give, which is part of their requirements for joining NASTIC, they gave everyone a copy of Mr. Seaton's book, Protecting Motor Carriers' Interest in Contract. And for the average, uh, for the average Joe that's out here uh, moving freight, I highly recommend, if you don't have anything else, you have to have this. Um, if you see my copy, it's so tattered and, and dog-eared and, and, and highlighted and bookmarked. Uh, I probably need to invest in another copy. <laughs> but don't have this book. Please go in, uh, to Mr. Seaton's uh, website. It's called transportationlaw.net. I'm going to say it again, transportationlaw.net. 
www.transportationlaw.net. It's spelled out just the way it sounds, transportationlaw.net. There is a way that you can order the book right there on Mr. Seaton's website, and also there are a ton of other uh, interesting articles and everything in there. And just to highlight a couple of quick things uh, on the book, uh, part one, Mr. Seaton talks about contracts with shippers and brokers. Um, part two, owner-operator contracts. Part three, talks about insurance contracts. Part four, it talks about factoring agreements. And he also has in there some uh, different appendices where it shows you standard truck truckload bill of ladings, uh, the shipper-carrier agreements, so on and so forth. Just something that you definitely want to have in your repertoire, something that you can, as a point of reference, if you have something going on. And and when I seen this and I, and I had the ability through NASTIC, uh, to make contact, I tried to make contact with Mr. Seaton. That's what kind of really led us on this journey with me trying to get Mr. Seaton to come on on a, uh, on a monthly basis to come on the show because the average guy out here moving freight, these are the things that and Mr. Seaton touched on it ever so, uh, he, he put it perfectly. Some of these contracts that are coming out now, you damn near have to have your own legal uh, uh, cabinet to review some of these things. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing, I have seen some as 21, 30-page uh, uh, manifestos, <laughs> I, I call them, that they want you to sign, you know, and, and, and you're trying to, you just out here wanting to move some freight, trying to put food yeah, on the table. Yeah, Rico, the, the, the ordinary uh, small carrier who's looking for backhaul freight will probably get a, a contract that's 10 or 12 pages long. Uh, the jumbo daddy of them all that I just reviewed was a 72-page contract for a broker client by someone in oil field that never mentioned the term motor carrier, never mentioned the term broker, and never mentioned the term cargo loss. It required the broker to indemnify and hold harmless the shipper for anything that happened and treated the broker as if he were just a contractor. Now, if a broker were to sign that, he would end up engaging in what I call promise of anything and cram it down on the carrier. And for a long time, brokers, in order to solicit freight from shippers, have agreed to whatever outrageous requirements the shipper had and then taken the position of, oh, well, I can cover my risk by making the carrier uh, make me whole if he screws up and I get caught. And that system doesn't really work uh, very well because the small carrier particularly doesn't have enough money to make the broker whole. I'll give you a couple of uh, horror stories for that. Uh, in one recent case, broker put in a contract that the carrier would be responsible for special and consequential damages for any loss or damage to cargo in transit. Now, ordinarily, you would have limited your liability to, uh, let's say, $100,000 a truckload and that's your cargo limit. Well, this little carrier had two thefts, and each one was $250,000, and its cargo insurance company paid the $250,000 on both cargo losses only to find out that the broker then withheld all freight charge payments, claiming that the contractual rights allowed him to be recompensed for his alleged loss of business because the shipper 
who hired him decided we've had two cargo losses on the carriers you hired. We're not going to do business with you. The amount of money wow. that he claimed he was out was far more than the little carrier country. The idea of uh, uh, of finding a, a traffic lane or a niche in which you can build up some dependability uh, with uh, repeat customers on an outbound basis and then get to where you know what the what the return freight is but you can conduct a balanced operation without having to to hunt loads and zigzag home uh, I think is is ultimately the way that a, a guy with one truck and a dream can uh, can uh, add trucks and uh, uh, leverage off of the accounts he has to develop backhauls. Can I throw something else out? Sure. Sure. I routinely go into, and I call it, I'm, I got the Opie Taylor factor because I'm the clean-cut white guy, you know. I'm no one way or the other. I'm not in any way offensive. I'm, you know, my truck's always clean. I got a, now I got a brand new trailer. So, of course, they like that. But what gets me is I go in there and they're always telling me all the time, oh, here's our card. Anytime you need a load, then I'll call them up and they're like, oh, well, you need to go through so-and-so to get vented. And it's like, hey, guys, 30 seconds on a website and you can see that I'm fully vented by the federal government already. But if you want to see it, I'll bring you a hard copy of my insurance, a hard copy of my authority, whatever you want to see. And it's, it's like, to me, it's on their side. They're like, oh, we don't want to deal with this anymore. We just want so-and-so to do it. Well, so-and-so's not doing the job, be it a big company like a C.H. Robinson or a small company like Johnson's brokerage service, you know, I mean, if they're not getting the job done, it's like, why are y'all dealing with these people? Talk to us. We'll and we'll get it done but before you. But see, that's where our sit. Like I said earlier, that's where our sales skills got to kick in because if, if there's enough pain there that that ship is experiencing from 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 whoever they're dealing with, and if we can present a solution to their problem and make it so so that it's easy for them, uh, you know, make it easy, not saying that we're going to um, skip any of the process. There's still a way to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, but there's a, there's a certain way that you can smooth the client into getting uh, uh, getting what you want from them. You, you, you address, if you can address all of their needs and maybe even uh, couple in, throw in a couple of their wants, with, with their needs and, and, and you are a pleasurable person to do business with, then there's no, I don't see any reason for them not to, uh, um, you know, give you a shot as, as far as going directly. If the if the person that is the decision maker is right there, able to make that call. Now, sometimes you get into a corporate, uh, you know, when you get into a, a different, mm-hmm. you know, with, big, with the big fish, then then you got a whole bunch of uh, political stuff that you got to go through. But we don't really need to be uh, chasing those big fish anyway because we don't have a. We don't have a gun big enough yeah, to shoot that bird. Let me, let, let, me, let me mention one other thing. I know we're probably getting close on time, but we one provision that you, <laughs> that, you will see, that you will see in a broker contract is a covenant compete, and it'll say that you'll promise for the term of the contract in two years thereafter not to solicit any, any carrier for freight first tendered to you by the broker. And, of course, what that does is an anti-poaching provision, so it's intended so that, you know, you don't 
start taking free from the broker and then go to the shipper and say, hey, let's cut that guy out and I'll uh, do it cheaper. But, you know, I think it's important that you modify those provisions to say that you're not going to go out and solicit him, but if all of a sudden uh, some shipper picks up the phone and calls you and says, hey, you know, uh, uh, I'm not doing business with Charlie's brokerage anymore. Do you want to uh, uh, to haul from me direct? That's not that's not the back soliciting. And so most well, big carriers will put in their contract that nothing in this uh, uh, back solicitation will uh, prohibit me from responding to an unsolicitation by any customer at any time. Well, mine is it's it's the traffic manager. He'll walk out and give me his personal card and say, "Call me." And I'm like, okay, like I'm not, I thought I want, because I, I, I never, I don't have to solicit it for eight. Nine out of ten, they come out to me and say, here's my card. Please call me. Do you flip the script on him and say, well, I, well because of the, my contract, I cannot call you, but here's my card. Call me. No, because I don't understand what I can and can't do, because, I mean, I don't go in there every time and start throwing out cards to everybody. I just. Rico, you know who I am, right? This yes, is sir. Tom from Indianapolis. Okay. Well, you know, yes, remember sir. I got that four-way camera system. Nine out of ten, a lot of people come out to my truck because they want to see all the little things I have on my truck. They'll see me getting into a real tight position and back in, and they say, how do you do that? And I point to my cameras, and they say, well, why do you do that? I said, well, this is to protect my business. This is to protect security of your load. And, I mean, traffic managers coming out, they're seeing it, and they're like, well, hey, boom, here's my card. You call me anytime you need a load. And I'm like, well, technically, I'm not supposed to take this because we're not supposed to take freight from brokers. You know, it's supposed to be a gentleman's agreement, but it's like, well, hey, if the broker ain't getting the job done, shoot. I don't see why there's an issue. That's why I've been afraid to really... There, there, there probably is an issue if you have signed to the covenant not to back solicit. What you, what you can probably tell the guy is, look, I've got a covenant not to uh, back solicit you. Uh, if, uh, uh, but it, it doesn't keep you from, uh, uh, from, from reaching out to me uh, if you have, if you have problem getting a load covered. But I mean, you've got to be very careful in terms of how you do that. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to suggest that you play cute with having signed a covenant back to not to back solicit and then kind of in, engage in it. But uh, you know, I think you need to kind of think about it uh, uh, when you're when you're going in. I don't think it's an ethical violation of any covenant back, not to back solicit if all of a sudden. Uh, uh, let's say you're hauling for General Electric, and they decide to put their freight out to per year, and they send you a bid package. And they, you mm -hmm. know, uh, obviously, a lot of my larger clients are not going to sign a back solicitation for some guy who has got uh, uh, his his hand on the side of the traffic manager at East Sheboygan, and now not be able to transport for General Electric anywhere. So, I mean, you know, you, that's the reason that those back solicitation provisions need to be looked at very closely. Right. And, and we know we're, we're actually, 
We're we're in a little bit of an overtime there, so uh, we don't want to try to miss any longer. We we went over about we went over about ten minutes, and we appreciate um, everyone for uh, sticking in and hanging in there with us. I'd like to thank everyone that was able to make this show possible. Kevin Rutherford, Lisa Rutherford, and the entire Les Truck team. Uh, of course, we want to send special thanks out to Mr. Uh, Hank Seaton for coming on with us and, and uh, sharing of his time and knowledge. Please go support Mr. Seaton and check out his book, uh, Protecting Motor Carrier's Interests and Contracts. Check out his website, transportationlaw.net. Uh, Hank, uh, you still uh, looking on the, the new book when we think about getting a new book out? Oh, gee. If I could stop, if I could stop adding paragraphs to it, I'd be okay. Uh, you know, I, I, it seems like it keeps rolling a month every time we talk. Uh, the the uh, my editor's got about three fourths of it back to me, so we're making some progress. More is good. We like that. More is good. More information is good. But so we, we definitely want to thank you, Hank. And last but not least. Sure. Uh, we want to thank each and every one of the callers and listeners and everyone that um, downloads and supports this podcast. We do it for you. Um, and we're going to uh, try to continue to expand and go deeper and make this thing better. If you have any questions, please check out the Facebook page for the Rates and Lanes, of course. Continue to support all of the groups, uh, you know, the Rate Per Mile Masters, the Knowing Rates and Lanes, uh, Motor Carrier uh, Beat Up. All of the different Facebook groups, go and support all of them. And, you know, we do this to try to help make the motor carrier, you know what I'm saying, to make the um, transportation industry a better place. And that's what that's the whole purpose behind us doing is to try to share knowledge and get actual good, tangible information out there from uh, legitimate professionals that can tell us. That side, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you all once again. Thank you for your support. God bless you, and good night. Thanks again, Mr. Deaton. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-PUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.